Welcome to What's Left to Do. I'm your host, Janelle. This week, we get to hear from a red diaper baby from India. You heard that correctly. (laughs) Kartik grew up in a complicated family situation as the son of an intercaste marriage, which led his mother to being disowned. His hopes of being a top competitor in table tennis were dashed growing up, and he eventually ended up majoring in aerospace engineering at one of India's top universities. That is, until the arts came calling. have in the house today well even though this is our first time meeting <laughs> in person uh, we are sitting down today with poet author uh thinker general lefty badass kartik how are you doing today i'm doing all right how are you doing <laughs> yeah i never know how to answer that question because like it's most often like just a courtesy call uh-huh. and i generally uh, i'm the kind of person who would actually tell you all about my day starting <laughs> from what i like what time i woke up what That's i right. did etc yeah would you have for breakfast what yeah. you thought about after breakfast mostly what i thought about because like i usually wouldn't even notice what i'm eating it's just <laughs> mostly something to burn through the day yeah That's right. That's right. all right my man uh i I mean, we already talked about it for like a tiny bit before we set up. I know your backstory is crazy, so we're just going to get into it. You are from Chennai, yes? yes. Southern India. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, what, what what was that like uh, growing up there? Oh, wow. <laughs> That's like very open-ended. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, and, and it's also interesting because like I, I feel like this has kind of been my scene ever since I've like, I moved here mm-hmm. in 2015, mm-hmm. which is that... Um, how do I tell my story in a way that translates? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and I, I have to say, I have like a lot of training doing that because uh, my whole MFA uh, that I did here, creative writing, mm-hmm. was me trying to find a way to tell my like growing up stories sure. uh, in a way that an American audience would understand. <laughs> and when they say an American audience, it's like essentially 45 plus like white women, essentially. <laughs> I was born into a family that was basically starting from scratch in every sense Mm -hmm. of the word i would say because like my my dad is from the community that is um like fun fact is that that's like the community that gave birth to the term paraya Mm -hmm. uh, because paraya in tamil means uh someone who is of the cow hide like skin of the cow mm-hmm. after you after you uh, killed it etc and that skin is made into a drum and it's these people who play that drum and these are uh, the people who were mainly funeral undertakers and uh-huh. they played the drum and stuff like that is so, another way to say that just because we have i understand which i have a lot mm-hmm. of indian parents but is that a, a, another way of explaining that he was of a lower caste yes yes absolutely yes. yeah okay. it's called the untouchable caste and ah. um, okay but that's that's a term you can't use anymore and i had to learn that from my like that's a taboo term like that is so just funny like you wouldn't say like colored or something like that i don't know i feel like there's no other way to describe it than if i like let's say if i said dalit right like mm-hmm. and and um it is it's not a community that I, I think like in many cases it's associated with indigeneity and stuff like that but it's not really a and a term associated with indigeneity it is not a term just, that's just having to do with like being lower on the caste spectrum because yeah. uh, caste hierarchy because like it's a caste that's not even included yeah, yeah, yeah. in uh, uh, in the top four uh, it's actually the people who are beneath the feet yes. of uh, the all of the people yeah. and and like they're considered like you know cast out of society so much so that even if you saw one of them on the street mm-hmm. you had to like go inside your house and uh, if you're an upper caste person wow. you had to go inside your house and like lock the doors and stuff like that and this is like some i would say 60 70 years ago not yes. 
um right now like sure, around sure. the time of india achieving independence i would say uh this was still like a practice yeah, and yeah, so yeah. on um but so your father is a dalit my father is um part of this community and my mm-hmm. mother is not hi and my mom is actually part of the topmost community she's a brahmin she's a brahmin yeah holy shit how yeah. did they meet they met at the i mean they worked at the bank together so uh, they were both like basically clerical like wow. a bank account manager she got disowned yes did he get disowned no uh, because like you know that he doesn't... was marrying up yeah and, wow. and, i mean like not just marrying up but more so the fact that they were all below the poverty line yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, and my mom was essentially another earning member of yeah. the family yeah. uh so together they were able to build first you know their family and also like whatever they could do to help out your help dad's out, people yeah my dad's Whoa. family is she still the same to this day no i'd actually uh five years around? later um oh okay i mean I, this is the sort of thing that i am not 100% even sure like how much of it i would want to uh, sure, talk sure, about sure, but sure. like no no but but at the same time i do feel like i have the obligation to talk about it because mm-hmm. like this is something that is not really you know in the open with respect to no our, hell uh, no yeah Ye. like we my mom was disowned for about like couple of years yeah, yeah, and yeah. then i was born i was like the first grandson yeah. of both families together Yo, so you so i kind of was time. like the, yeah. yeah i got like the special you uh, were the reunification <laughs> i kind of was yeah, actually yeah, yeah, yeah. and and then uh once um i went back uh, my mom went back like my dad was still not allowed in the house yeah um not hmm. just for like because he took the daughter away but mm-hmm. more so just for caste yeah, purposes yeah, yeah. like you you literally didn't know if the scripture allowed you to let this person into your house wow, or wow, not wow. and stuff like if you were orthodox yeah. so you know coming from that level of like orthodoxy yeah. i would say it is kind of not like um any nothing like really phases me more so because huh. i grew up hearing these stories about how my dad was not allowed in my grandparents house and stuff like yeah. that and and that like kind of estranges me entirely from my mother's side of the family because i don't feel comfortable like uh-huh. associating too much sure you're your father's son i'm very polite and i'm like a guest yeah. i'm like a very hospitable very friendly nice kind of guest yep. but uh it's very hard from because because it has not been hashed out especially sure. i don't really feel I mean I I do uh you know visit speak and yeah. like every now and then I say happy You're birthday cordial. and stuff like that I'm cordial yeah. but I cannot identify and uh. like that's definitely been part but of But how did you how did you understand I how did you understand this very tense class dynamic growing up or was or did you not have to understand it because in your parents house it was just here's mom and dad they work you know they're married this is this is our family like did you have to reckon with it as a child like how did you make sense of it yeah and i the, the other thing which you're probably not going to find anywhere online uh, if you were to look is that like i had this complication kind of like built into my growing up since i was like two probably because um first of all around the time that i was two and a half years old my um dad's younger brother passed um i know of that as like him slipping and falling from a height ah. um in a in a slum clearance board i mean that's yeah, where yeah. they lived like yeah, it's yeah. kind of like a project type yeah, yeah, scene so. but it's like third world project yeah. so it's like even worse yeah, yeah. so um like after i mean like um i knew of it as he, he just accidentally yeah. slipped and fell and i still remember like seeing that funeral yeah, because yeah, yeah. i i was there at the funeral procession procession and like i was right upstairs like where nobody was you know i didn't want to be like they didn't want me to be a part of the mm-hmm. the, the proceedings yeah. yeah and all of that so from then on and i was in my my father's sister's hand uh and because i was like taking reasonably well mm-hmm. to her and because my parents were both working mm-hmm. I was practically like raised by my father's sister who uh, moved in with us uh, after that uh, um because they had to deal with the grief of the whole thing happening and oh. like you know uh she moved in with us and like she I, she basically raised me and because of that because I was raised my, by my father's younger sister um from a very young age I knew from her first hand that like you know my father was treated a certain kind of way sure. by the family so i do see uh, a lot of my indoctrination happening um mm. from her where i kind of was like told first hand like what the injustices or like what the kind of unfair treatments or what the kind of shitty things that um you know they say mm. um etc 
hearing it from her from a young age, I think, like, totally colored my opinion as far as... In what ways? <laughs> like, the, what did you, like, what was she telling you and what were you understanding? Um, I think mainly that um, there is a lot of kind of pretense uh, of, like, that they are not who they seem hmm. type of thing, mm-hmm. which is, like... But how I think, did you understand that? I think that's that's how I understood it. I'm trying to explain to you, I think, like, mm. uh, not really how I fa- how I wrap my head around it as an adult because I think I intellectually wrap my head yeah, around yeah, it in different. a more mature way, sure, right? Sure, sure. But as a kid, I think I always remember thinking that my aunt and, like, my mom was an exception, clearly, mm-hmm. because she married my dad, yeah, so yeah, yeah, she's yeah. totally different from all these people. Um, but my, the, the portrait that I got, and this can't, I can't like singularly blame my aunt. Like, it's just, uh, that I got my dad, uh, seeing my dad and like, you know, um, growing up and like seeing my aunt growing up. And also I got a lot of visits from my other, like side of my, uh, dad's side of the family, other relatives and, uh, a lot of stories there. Like, uh, but mainly seeing all of this, I just came to the conclusion that these were people like the the Dalits were the people who were being like straight up with me and ah. like kind of connecting with me in a very real sort of way. Whereas the Brahmin side of my family was kind of being deceptive, pretending that they were sweeter to me ah. because they just wanted to win me over. Yeah, yeah. Take putting me on away. airs. Yeah. Huh. Stuff like that. Interesting. Did you, so were you, does, the, so I don't know, I don't know how this works, but if you, if you come from a, I don't know if mixed cast is the right I don't know. I think it's intercaste, but like, yeah. If you come from an intercaste family, what does, how does that affect your standing? Do you, do you take on the cast of your father? Do you take on the cast of your mother? Is it a blend of the two? So you come out in the middle, you know what I mean? Like, how does that work? I mean, technically I am my father's cast. Ah, okay. Uh, On the certificate, it says that. And that's kind Ah. of like something that uh, became a, you know, identity crisis that I had to reckon with, like through college and all that stuff. Um, but technically, I am my yeah. I cast. see. Okay. Did you? So what did you? Did you? It's what I'm struggling with is, my guess is that it it, it uh, it's difficult, and I could be wrong, but my guess is that it's difficult to separate like caste and class as we kind mm-hmm. of understand it in the West. So like, how did you understand your class? standing growing up i understand that you 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 took you took on your father's caste mm-hmm. but did you have an understanding of your class standing growing up in india class i absolutely did oh, okay. uh, which i can actually talk about a lot oh, okay, like, okay. i think class was something that uh hit me harder uh than caste did initially because caste i only grew up as like this kind of internecine family yeah. kind of strife but uh, class was much more palpable because I grew up in a in like a rented house um, upstairs, which was like a single bedroom um, that my mom and dad basically, I think, took the room. And I bas- I remember sleeping a lot outside uh, like with, in the on a mat uh, on the, in the I mean, I don't even know if you can call it a living room because it's just like a room with a with a couple of chairs and. You know, and stuff like that. And, and I, I actually, as a kid, I remember growing up in rooms that were completely unfurnished uh-huh, and uh-huh. Uh, had the paint, paint peeling off. And my mom was like basically paying uh, less rent because it was actually, interestingly, her mom's younger sister who took them in right uh, after they got married. Because oh. uh, like she was like, you know, I don't care if your family disowns you, you're yeah. welcome here, yeah, that yeah, type yeah. of thing. So it's like, I can't like, that's the one, that's one of the things that I, I would say uh, in answer, uh, hopefully in answer to your question, um, that I didn't grow up fully resenting mm-hmm. because I, I think I saw like an equal, I wouldn't say equal, I guess, like, but a, a significant amount of good on both sides. Huh. And um, although I was more proximate to my yeah. father's uh, side of the family and I more empathize with that, I, I definitely also saw a significant amount of uh, like help. Sure. Uh, um, like my, uh, when my parents bought the house, the apartment that I grew up in, uh, which had two bedrooms and five or six of us lived there. Mm. So like I said, like the sleeping in the sl- same room, sharing a mat on the floor or a mattress uh at one point um it was like when i was a kid it was my aunt and i but when i was growing up it was my mom my dad my sister and me uh-huh. sharing a mattress like hey. which was in yeah, the yeah. same room and like yeah. uh, the other room a lot of stuff we yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. had to live as a unit yeah 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 um and yeah so class kind of even when we owned 
so to say owned our house i keep saying that in quote because like the house was totally always on mortgage mm-hmm. you know it was never like really you never own a house if you're it wasn't free and clear yeah of yeah. course oh, okay. uh so yeah i mean like it was always like um we were sharing bedrooms we were sharing mattresses so i was aware of the class experience of it far before i got i guess introduced to the specificities of the caste experience oh interesting okay um what so describe like what it was like growing up did you were you aside from your in, the internecine complicated family dynamic you had like were you did you like did you like playing outside with like the neighborhood kids like did you were you very very bookish were you kind of in the middle were you a little mischievous like were you a you know hell on wheels what <laughs> describe yourself so um i think as like one of the key things about my mfa thesis itself like which was basically a collection of short stories about my uh, growing up years and i and i kind of like used that as an opportunity to kind of severely psychoanalyze myself mm-hmm. and like really really write out every little thing that i think is a significant memory and a lot of that um really revolves around the fact that i began with one single relationship that i had with my aunt and ever since it's just been like moving from relation to re- relationship to relationship and it's funny like i even romantically or otherwise like i've kind of been the same way i think and it ties all the way back to like and i can see like the kind of freudian connection all going all the <laughs> way back it was this thing where my mom and dad were constantly you know striving i barely saw them um it was mostly that my aunt that i had a had face time with and because i was not seeing them at all like my primary relationship with, was with my aunt and um the kind of reciprocity of that relationship was that she would just let me basically give me as much freedom as i needed hmm. um and constantly positively reassure me with that level of like kind of you can do anything that you wanted ah. level so okay. maybe i kind of uh, ascribe a lot of my kind of so to say revolutionary optimism to the yep. fact that i was kind of given this huh. feeling from a very young age mm-hmm. but after that like my aunt left uh when i was 9 years old mm-hmm. i was like heartbroken um yeah, yeah, of course and i was going to get married yeah and yeah, like uh-huh. i used to say stuff like you know i'm going to grow up and marry you and stuff like that <laughs> sure, i mean of little. course yeah, right? yeah, yeah. um she she says stuff like that to me even yeah, now like yeah, you know yeah. like you used to tell me all of this <laughs> and and all of that uh but um yeah at at that age i i had that and then quickly because of uh the the huge void um almost like uh, jane austen's emma character i feel like i um lost like a miss taylor figure or whatever yeah, yeah, like yeah. um and then um my dad kind of took on as the primary relationship because i was immediately put into like an academy to play table tennis ah and i did that for like about 10 years where i played competitively and i saw practically no other like social experience other than just playing competitive table tennis really yeah did they that was their dream for you or that's what you took to it and you insisted on this is what you wanted to do so or? at first i was like i mean because i grew up in india like everybody wants to play cricket yeah so um and like the time that i grew up there was this one cricketer who's kind of like the like the michael jordan um he's called sachin tendulkar and like everybody loves him um I grew up like he's a short dude uh unassuming like you would not even think that he's going to like score well or anything like that but he's like the highest aggregator and stuff like that so everybody wanted to be like him I did too um and that was like my sporting aspirations but my dad this is kind of what is uh crazy I think like this is where like the whole cast experience kind of comes in um my dad at first said vetoed like the fact that I had to play cricket because he actually played cricket he's pretty good at it he played for his bank and stuff like that uh but he i don't know what the actual specificities is but he just says that like at one point they were not taking you in the team unless you were a brahmin ah and they literally tap you on the shoulder at the tryouts to see if you have the thread ah. uh because they can't like directly ask you or something like that and ah. they'll like there'll be somebody at the tryout who'll just like be like hey that was a good job and then they'll just like tap you on the shoulder what is then, the thread uh there's like a thread that all brahmins wear oh okay okay it's kind of like a like it's a, it's an actual thread yeah 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 a, uh, a signifier like kind of yeah. yeah so yeah. you you pat them on the shoulder and you kind of like can feel it and my dad used to say that like you know they're going to do that to you uh, so he didn't even want you to go through that yeah. yeah okay and i was like heartbroken at that as well because like that was what i was doing like whether i was like playing with my aunt as a child or uh, if i was playing with the neighborhood kids like that was my natural kind of like this is what i wanted to do this is what i wanted to see people uh you know appreciating me for being good at etc but then like i was 
thrusting the table tennis and like i think in a couple of years mainly because of all the friends that i made etc i kind of got a little more serious about it but then over time uh because my dad and this is like something that became a huge part of my one on one relationship cycle which is that going to and from from the academy um uh, my dad my dad also became a coach there which is like i'll get to it probably a little later um but uh going to and back from the academy which is like on this um two wheeler like motorcycle which is not exactly like a a motorcycle motorcycle um, but it's a more moped. like a yeah it's like a 150 cc moped mm-hmm. which is like i guess like a third of the intensity of a harley yeah 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 so sitting at sitting behind my dad and like just talking to him mm-hmm. um and like i can i can like i in a in a prose book i would probably like write about the fact that i kind of like i probably know my dad's like bo like a <laughs> way i can like even now like pretty much smell any time yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's one of those funny things and it's like why do i know that yeah, yeah. and it's like but it's cool it's yeah, cool yeah. that i know that as it's, well yeah, it's, it's kind of funny memory, but it's yeah. also <laughs> um <laughs> and and it's every day you know yeah, it's yeah. like two ways um and it's uh 6 o'clock in the morning um to like 8:30 mm-hmm. and then i come back and i go to school and then uh 4 in the evening to like 8 in the whoa, night yeah whoa, so i whoa. basically this was like all my life did you feel pressure to be good at it? like did you think oh, that yeah. your parents affection was predicated upon how good you were at you know tennis? that's like one of the, that's like a directly you're you're hitting the nail on the head with mm-hmm, the question mm-hmm. uh i don't think that that they were like that but i felt like that yeah, yeah, which yeah. was kind of the i think the 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 funny uh dichotomy like yeah. even now i feel like a lot of uh their affection might be predicated like i feel like this obligation to sure. live up to some kind of expectation and all of that yeah. but at that time i i it's not just that like i had to live i felt the pressure to but i knew i had to because yeah. my dad was spending money yeah. on this thing um and, and it's not spending time taking you driving you to and from i actually didn't even care too much about the time it was the money but it's the money that like uh-huh. because the time i always like took for granted i don't know that's one thing which is different uh, about i guess like culturally um indian parents you just like take for granted that they're over- on top of like he's he also became a coach at the academy but it was it was like a pretty heavy uh burden mm-hmm. to deal with the fact that not only do I, did i have to live up to my dad's expectations mm-hmm. as like my dad but also as a coach yeah, yeah, yeah. which was harder yeah sure actually. sure yeah. a lot of pressure hmm. um did you so you so you so even though looking back you don't think that they that's they 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 made their love for you conditional but that's how it felt you felt like i have to if i'm if i'm going to take if i'm going to take up this time to to take up the sport they're spending all this money they're you know dad's taking this job just so I, you know i have a lower fee at school all i damn sure better do well that's how yeah. you felt yeah okay. yeah yeah right. and sense. like uh from the from the beginning um there are like so i started playing table tennis in 1998 mm-hmm. uh i was born in 91 mm-hmm. 1998 i started playing <laughs> yeah, okay. born in 91 get out of here <laughs> yeah, you zygote uh-huh. uh huh so <laughs> um born in 91 uh started playing table tennis in like 98 99 which was around when my aunt got married and like um by 2000 i was already playing i had to start playing these tournaments mm-hmm. uh which were like there were like these 10 ranking tournaments that you played during a calendar year once i started competing it just became like that became the drill. like it never was like fighting for my dad's mm-hmm. approval or anything but more the fact that my dad was getting more and more frustrated that i was not being as successful um despite the fact that i had the ability to be more successful that that i that became like a consistent theme where i was like a very good player but i just ate shit uh, and like i ate shit at crucial moments <laughs> um and and it was like a point of frustration like a lot of tension between me and my dad sure. um you know like it was a, it was a pretty fraught heavy you know all the like his vicarious all the things that he couldn't do as yeah, a, yeah, as yeah, a kid growing up you, you know yeah, like yeah. all of that like kind of me knowing that as well because i had like this my aunt tell me yeah. from a young age that like you know look at all the shit that he had to do uh-huh. so yeah i mean like i don't think i ever looking back i think i was just completely under equipped as a kid <laughs> to handle any of that uh when i should probably have just been told here's a ball here's a racket go play yeah, yeah. and like i wish that 
somebody could do that to me just now mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I, because like i don't think i i ever had a moment where i just like held the ball in the racket and i was like wow this sounds fun yeah yeah yeah, yeah and not even a single day ah. like it was always like from the first day oh i played three in a row mm-hmm. five next time yeah, yeah yeah it was always like that mm-hmm. so always always more always more, more yeah. pressure huh. and i think i like think about this because it's one of those things that i wish i never have to repeat mm-hmm. um it's like this moment when i sat down with my like family including my sis- little sister who was like nine or something at the time mm-hmm. and this was like when i knew when i knew that we i was conclusively not making the under 13 under 14 when i was 13 years old mm-hmm. uh under 14 like national team uh state team. state team mm-hmm. state team for the nationals i finished fifth that was that close a miss mm-hmm. and like my whole family just like sat down and cried for like a, an hour and oh like we God. just like i just couldn't deal with the fact that you know i couldn't i didn't make the team sure. this was like uh, and there was like a lot of politics involved sure. too which was kind of very dumb like why would you have uh, politics in the little league where yeah, yeah, you're yeah. you know having favorable draws for yeah. kids yeah. and like some kids had like people who were in the association so they gave them easy draws and Mm. things like that Mm -hmm. and i knew about that too so it's like and the coach gave favorable treatment to dads who you know bribed them yeah drank with them Mm -hmm. my dad is a teetotaler Mm. stuff like that it's kind of like one of those things where you know as a kid i was exposed to so many of these things that you know looking back i think these radicalized me far more than Ah. any of these Uh, even my cast i would say being born into my cast being born into my income category i don't think that radicalized me as much as like just seeing hmm. the level of politics that was just imposed on the children. level of politics abuse the level of just like yeah. all kinds of abuse like we, we were like seeing it was an academy yeah, yeah. boys and girls like hmm. coaches there were all kinds of coaches and you know we kind of knew what was going on most of the time ah, like wow. and um just like i think being aware of that as a kid kind of does a lot of things to you yeah did you have a sense of your parents politics or ideology growing up oh yeah my my dad's like my dad was in the oh my my parents are my parents are married in the communist party office oh yeah, so. right on <laughs> so you came to you not new to this you're true to yeah, this okay so it's like i'm i'm technically i learned this term from in fact like i think somebody at the people's forum told me mm-hmm. that i learned the term is like a red diaper baby red i think di- i yeah, was like yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. um my dad uh was part of the cpi um for a while like what is he, cpi communist party of india oh, okay. marxist okay. uh in in chennai yeah um and it was like one day that my mom i think like woke up just to like go to work mm-hmm. and little did anybody know at her house that she was getting married at the communist party house but what what drew uh, her pa- to the communist CPI? party office sorry what drew her to the cpi she didn't she was not part of the cpi just my dad so my mom is just like an average person who uh, worked at a bank right but so, but she wasn't par- are you saying she wasn't particularly political or ideolo- not at all. ideologically yeah. but your father was the one yeah, who yeah, was yeah. ideological my, i would think that my mom is at best like somebody who's like liberal progressive like social conservative ah. fiscal liberal level like i don't oh, okay. even think she's um someone who is particularly radical very ah. status quo uh wants me to be like you know very proper and sure. like not ruffle any feathers etc sure, sure. uh even my dad is like that mm-hmm. i mean he quit the communist party soon after because he couldn't just like deal with the the whatever he said i don't know if he just like got disillusioned but the thing that he told me was that he could never like continue being as actively involved so he just didn't see any point in like being a member i don't know why he quit mm-hmm. um but uh mainly my parents were married uh in the communist party office is something that i wanted to start with uh-huh. um and then after that um i just kept seeing a lot of books radical books in tamil uh, mm-hmm. translated mm-hmm. like uh, what, what are some titles oh some titles around? interesting um i remember seeing a one uh, one malcolm x book a lot and i never like really read them mm-hmm. uh this was something that was like a large part of my childhood where i just like looked at the titles yeah. in my dad's collection mm-hmm. um and just fancied having read them one uh, day and I like see. i never really looked through mm-hmm. any of them because i thought that my aunt and my mom also like to a large extent conditioned me into knowing that this stuff is beyond my age ah. so it's like you will read that later not yeah, yeah. now don't worry about that right don't now. worry don't worry about that right uh-huh. now um so yeah that's like the i would say seeing that in my house um whether re- rented or you know like 
uh, mortgaged a little apartment um, that in which we shared like <laughs> bedrooms uh, among people. Like I always had like access to and saw radical books growing up. My dad was subscribed to a bunch of magazines in Tamil that were I knew were radical. Um, we have like this rich tradition um, in Tamil Nadu where I come from, where in the 1960s there was this like self-respect movement. Mm-hmm. It was called where that's what I said. Like when I they kicked uh, they kicked Hindi out of the streets. Like they said that no national language shit here. Mm. We're gonna speak our language nah. and um, that's it. Um, and that became like a kind of way to integrate caste politics and mm. um, radical politics as well. Uh, which kind of um, came to me through like Periyar uh, is is a figure who's like a bearded old man who just like uh, most famously my dad used to tell me um, whenever there was a temple procession of some deity uh, they used to him and his black shirts as they were called they used to go down uh, to the procession and chuck like their slippers at them like yeah. hit the idol with slippers Whoa. because they were like my my dad said that like he I don't know if he was particularly part of it but yeah I mean he definitely recounted that with a lot of glee wow, so wow, wow. Okay. I grew up like kind of very early on beginning to disrespect the idea of like the Hindu mythology like, ah, yeah which okay. was kind of I think like uh, significant mm. as a, as a but, kid but did you but did you metabolize your particularly your father's politics or ideology toward what was going on in India politically like did you was like were you guys or maybe you weren't because you were mostly taken care of by your aunt for a long period. But like, were you guys sitting down for dinner or breakfast on the weekends, like in him, you know, discussing the news of the day and mm. part through his particular political or ideological lens or. Right. Yeah. I think, I think like weirdly, I don't remember a lot of uh, particular like news related incidents, so to say, because like I was like in my little cocoon playing, yeah, yeah. you know, table tennis and, uh, I mean, even if I, I was like, I always considered myself to be way too, like, I was, I started school at two and a half years old um, because my parents, I mean, technically my aunt, although she moved in with us, uh, she also had a job, like she worked somewhere as a, she worked the cash register somewhere or something uh, um, at the time and nobody could take care of me. So I was sent to school, kindergarten at two and a half years old. Mm So, and I uh, the whole time I was constantly either like studying or playing table tennis or um, that's it. Like that was my world. So the news of the day really didn't enter um, my imagination. But what did happen, which was kind of significant, is that my dad is also an avid collector of films. Because <laughs> like he, through the Communist Party and all that, like he used to go to the film chamber, which <laughs> was like a very nice... I don't think it was a Communist Party. Actually, I couldn't be saying that. Uh, the film chamber in... Um, in Chennai, like I, I don't know what exactly it's a part of, but it's a pretty lefty place I know. <laughs> uh, they used to screen a lot of like international movies, and like my dad used to just like go and watch these movies and try to get a bunch of them, bring it back, uh, DVDs. Um, you know, I can't get into the where he got the DVDs from and stuff like that. <laughs> Let's just like sure. say that there were DVDs in the house. Uh, but because of that, I, I, as much as I grew up in adoration of like my dad's like radical books. I was more, I would say, fascinated with the movies that he had in his collection. So, and, he, and I was even more, and I think this was what basically was the draw. I was fascinated by the fact that he kept it under lock and key. Mm, Whereas the, the books uh, were kind of open out there. Yeah, I was like, so I went towards the one that was under lock and key. Yeah. So I think like about when I was 13 or 14, I started like just watching these movies when he was not around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we had a DVD player. Like it was one of the first things that my dad got in the new house. Um, like it was a TV, DVD player, and uh, a home theater system. Because mm. like he's he's like he's a film buff. Uh, yeah, film buff. Yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's one of those things. Like mm-hmm. you know, if you're a gamer or something, you're gonna have like these paraphernalia yeah, and sure. things like that. Sure. So yeah, I um, from like. 14 onward I was watching movies that were way beyond my age and I would say that's where I guess I could say I started getting a little closer to becoming um, radicalized than in the actual conversations that I had with my dad because like these were movies that I was not talking to my dad with yeah 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 because like he had no idea that I was right, watching you weren't supposed to watch them yeah 
And what's really interesting is that after a while, I didn't even know, like I had probably watched like a f- 50 or 100 of these movies. Um, I mean, probably not 50 or 100, but like 25, 50 movies. And then, I, I mean, I knew that at some point when he was talking about them, I had, I can't pretend that I haven't watched them sure. because he will talk to me about these movies. Yeah. He'll just say, these are not for you to watch right now. Yeah. Be like, then don't fucking tell me. Right, right, yeah, right, like, right, right, right. But, uh, but at the same time, I, I watched them and I think it was the movies that like I had more of a, an intellectual experience with like some kind of radical politics mm, than anything else. Give me a title. Oh yeah, uh, I can give you a lot of titles. So first of all, like the the ones that I did watch with my dad were the Charlie Chaplin ones. Ah, okay. So Charlie Chaplin was an early figure, and my dad was very early on. Like you know, he made sure that I never saw Charlie Chaplin as anything other than a Marxist communist figure. Oh wow! So he just like said right off the bat that this dude is Marxist, and like. He didn't even want me to like know what Marxist meant. Mm-hmm. He'll just be like, "You'll figure it out. Yeah, You'll okay. figure it out. Whatever." Right. Like he's a Marxist dude. Sure, sure, sure. And that's I knew Charlie Chaplin was a Marxist dude the whole time. So I watched like a bunch of Chaplin movies. Uh, even now, like Chaplin is like instrumental yeah, to literally every idea that I probably come up with. Hmm. I would say because. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't think anybody did a concept as extensively as that dude did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and also like you know keeping it simple, uh, making sure that he reaches everybody, etc. So Chaplin was somebody, uh, Great Dictator, City Lights, um, Modern Times, eventually. Uh, these were all movies that I watched with my dad. Uh, aside, outside, though, outside those movies, like one of the movies that I saw in the collection was Motorcycle Diaries, which was the Che Guevara movie. Mm-hmm. And it has this actor gail garcia bernal who was in this other movie which and again like this is kind of like the slightly embarrassing part of the thing that i have <laughs> to admit it's that like i started watching these movies not because i'm like some you know great intellectually curious um like passionate film buff etc i started watching these movies because like there were a lot of hot women on the, <laughs> on the right, covers and, like, boy, yeah. yeah and there was this one movie called uh itu mama tambien yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah you know you yeah, know that movie yeah, yeah, okay yeah, yeah, nice yeah. <laughs> So it's like that movie, uh, the the dude in that movie is mm-hmm. Gail Garcia Bernal and he plays Che. Ah, okay. So I was like, oh, wow, it's that kid. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, if, if he's in that movie, then yeah. there's probably a lot of scenes that I would be interested in watching. <laughs> um, and, I, and I was like, wow, there's only one scene in this. Right. And it's somewhere in the middle and there's really not enough nudity in that <laughs> at all. Um, to hold my attention. And, and I was like, I remember being like pretty disappointed as a... As a 14-year-old. Yeah, yeah, as a horny kid. Yeah. Fast-forwarding through it. Uh, but, at the, but at the end, yeah. I think, like, at some point, I started actually watching these movies. I yeah. think this was the movie that I actually started watching. Yeah, yeah. And I remember being pretty moved by it. Mm-hmm. And then I saw that my dad had the book, ah. mo- The Motorcycle Diaries. Uh-huh. And like this was when I was like reading all I was reading all the Harry Potter books yep. and like the mystery books and the adventure books mm-hmm. and like the famous five and like whatever the detective stories and all that Hardy Boys, etc. Um, all the books that, you know, the white people say that you have to read. Yeah, <laughs> sure. yeah. Uh, but uh, that that movie, I was like, I remember watching and seeing, oh, wow, he was a doctor. But then he went around the country like trying to help people. Yeah. And I found that like pretty strange. Is, is that like really cool? Mm. Is that like some, because this coincided with the fact that I was getting rid of my whole competitiveness, yeah. um, kind of on the verge of quitting table tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of remember being like pretty, and also the, it's, the, it's the guy, like it's the guy whom I recognize from this kind of coming of age, teenage, yeah. um, like, movie with a lot of nudity yeah, sure. and, and i was like wow this so this kid who was kind of cool and he was like he was with these with all these pretty girls yeah. and like he is in this movie and he's like now doing all of these good things yeah. uh it almost like felt like an arc hmm. um personally that hmm. i felt like i i kind of stopped looking for that stuff mm-hmm. in the movies i mean like it's not to say that i don't look right, for that right, at sure, all but sure, sure. more so to that say that wasn't your main focus yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah, yeah. The, and then the focus slowly shifted towards um the actual plot and mm-hmm. the and the content of the movies so motorcycle diaries was definitely a an important movie mm-hmm. as far as that's concerned so when it was time for you to go off to college like 
what was the expectation? Was it that you would definitely go to school? Like, and did your family have your families and or larger community have like a dream for you when it was time for you to go to school? Like, what was that like? My my mom, like, I think like probably around the time that I came out itself, probably decided that I had to go to an IIT. Uh, like, it was one of those explain things. Explain to people what IIT. I know what IIT is. Oh, yeah. Is, okay, but, cool. Yeah. So, IIT is the Indian Institute of Technology. Yes. Um, and there were seven of them that were built around the like time in the 1950s yeah, yeah. like this was part of an investment that the government had yeah. that they wanted to build infrastructure and like do r&d like it was they were building a whole economy and they needed in-house people uh, to do it and they kind of like subsidized education science and technology education for a whole lot of people that they were going to select exclusively on the basis of merit and so on and they pride uh, themselves in the fact that they have created one of the most challenging pests yeah. on the planet and yes. whatnot iit um, but t- tell them the american equivalent of going to iit in terms in of in terms yeah. of the the competition in the country to get in i would say yeah like it's probably like going to a caltech or an mit yeah uh, any tech school yeah, yeah. uh prestigious elite tech school that's here right. is that's kind of where yeah, it's it is. like the mit mit of india, india yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but but at the same time it's also like a place where you don't re- you don't really go by being like well-rounded or anything it's no. just one test no. yeah yeah and, the and you, you just have out. to crack it yeah and it's like there's no other way like people people go to these centers that are residential like they're basically hostels yeah where you live like four floors above uh-huh. you like bathe in the third floor come down and like go to classes in the second floor come down again like and like in the first floor you'll probably have like gym type stuff yeah playgrounds and all of that and you just live in like this cage type building and those are the kind of centers that send the most people yep because the they just drill you, drill yeah. the test and how to take it into you. I waited until my junior year, which is another thing that some people do when they are kind of confident that like you are smart enough to, you know, figure things yeah. out on your own, etc. But I was not ready for that at all. Like mm. the whole time, I was just like this kid who was telling people that he wants to play in the Olympics, mm-hmm. uh, who just like occasionally showed up at school um, and still got decent grades. Mm-hmm. So my parents immediately were like, "Okay, so you're." not just the table tennis player you're also yeah. able to like do decently yeah. well in academics mm-hmm. so you're going to go to this you know program mm-hmm. where 3 hours uh, a day 3 times a week physics chemistry and Yeesh. math yeah. um you're just going to go to these university professors who just like and again all of them are brahmins by the way this yeah, is yeah. where like the whole caste experience like comes right back yeah. i kind of went into this um program where we met 3 times a week 3 uh 3 hours a day at this small cramp cramped up public school classroom where 100 people fit into a room meant for like 20 or 30 mm. and sweaty three hours yeah. all dudes by the way Oof. barely any like girls because uh, yeah. like out of like 100 maybe like 95 boys and five girls yeah. that's the and that was also how how it is in the, uh, in the university. actual school itself yeah, yeah, like yeah. iit itself yeah um so yeah i mean like doing this um and and having like literally every other kid as well as the teacher talked down to you the whole time. Nah. Uh, that was again, I, I, like a kind of good precursor to what an IIT actually is like. Uh, okay. But then you, and did you know what, did you, were you dictated, did your parents dictate to you what you would study or did you get to choose once you got in? Not really. Uh, in my case, I think like the, the, the thing about, I feel like I, I kind of was pretty obedient. Mm-hmm. So I, I, it wasn't even like they dictated it. I just got it. It's like, I kind of understood that their family project was just like, it didn't just end with the fact that they got married. Yeah, like yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it had to culminate in me going to the school. Sure. Like For it was it part of something. The, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. part of the whole thing. Like if I didn't do that, I, and, and in a way I feel like me more embracing like leftist politics happened after like this mainstream kind of like hustle slash um climber yeah. uh, path striver yeah. path uh because i kind of had to achieve that for their like i suppose 
I mean, I can't say that marriage to mean something, but more the fact the family yeah, yeah. means to be fully actualized. Sure. I started saying to my dad at that time itself, I wanted to go to like film school or theater school or hmm. something like that. I started saying that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he just basically totally like wasn't even having yeah, it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've had like many shouting matches, mm. like conversations where it didn't really particularly like, you know, it would end up in me crying basically huh. like it, it was always like that yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was never like you know i could throw a fit and you know get your be, way get my way at no, all like it no. was never like i it was like always like a losing game mm-hmm. so um i just realized that like i didn't have a choice but to do it only on and and it was always like this recurring theme that do it and do it when you have your own like money uh, own job sure, sure, own sure. like when you're making your own decisions etc yeah, so yeah. i just like grew up not being able to wait to, you know hmm. i wanted to just get into an iid so that i can do my own thing after sure, that. sure 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 so, like like fulfill this requirement for the family and then i'm free to self-actualize in the way that i desire i don't know if i would consider that to be freedom as such because hmm. there is still like this huge uh responsibility to now be like okay now that I've decided to kind of drop out of the beaten track, I have to, I have even more of a, like an obligation to be successful in whatever I undertake because sure. I traded. Yeah. 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 Ah, okay. I understand that. Hmm. Um, so did you fucking hate IIT the entire time you were there? Largely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mostly. Because it was, because the subject matter it wasn't really interesting to you because you, these studies were not your own per se. You know what I mean? Like what, what about it did you hate? I think in the beginning, um, okay, so here's the kind of like total, I will come, come at it from the completely opposite direction and say that I, I absolutely loved staying there uh-huh. because... You were away from home. Yeah, I was away from home. Initially, I kind of like felt a little bit of like homesickness and all this, sure. everybody does. But then once I started living there, um, they gave me my own room, mm-hmm. which was like the first time that I ever had my own room mm-hmm. was in, in, my, in my dorm. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I never had my own room. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I just was like watching movies. Yeah. Uh, I was going, I started exercising pretty regularly. Oh, I was okay. running a lot. I was just like sitting there and figuring out what it is that I wanted to do because mm-hmm. I knew whatever I wanted to do was not what I was doing. Which, what, what was your major? My major was aerospace engineering. Jeez I did like at one point want to do uh, like something with, you know, building jets and mm-hmm. aircrafts and all that. Like I, I grew up watching the SWAT cats. Like, I mm. don't know if, did you have SWAT cats? I don't. I don't think it's so. It's like this cartoon on Cartoon Network that had uh, two pilots. Uh, both of them are cats. It's like a cat-based uh, cartoon. I don't remember it, but my brother he watched way more Cartoon okay. Network than I did. Yeah, so that was like something that launched me into wanting to, you know, because they kind of like they were almost like mechanics who built and fixed their own planes and mm-hmm. things like that. And so I had like this fanciful notion, like when I was a kid, I used to say I wanted to be a scientist all the time. Uh-huh. Um, and then I started saying I wanted to be an Olympian. Mm-hmm. And then after a while, I started saying I wanted to be a filmmaker yeah, and like okay. all that. So, huh. um, and although I kind of took this major because of this fanciful childhood interest, yeah. I realized that almost all of this major was going to be done exclusively on the computer. Uh, and I had to learn how to code mm-hmm. in order for me to like start building planes yeah. and things like that. Yeah. And I, I didn't, I didn't first of all know how to code. Mm-hmm. And second, I, even now, like I'm terrible at it. Like, sure, sure, so sure. I just never, it never caught, mm-hmm. uh, simply because like it, it never took because simply I just never was interested in coding. Sure. Uh, so I could never achieve the level of expertise probably required for you to, embark on a successful career in aerospace mm. engineering mm-hmm. but i was like consistently not interested i see yeah and i and i just like kept watching movies i had like a blog mm-hmm. in which i was writing a lot of movie reviews at the mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. i didn't even care who was reading it mm-hmm. um i but was you had reading, to write i was reading roger ebert every day mm-hmm. uh, i don't know if you grew up yeah, um, I know. yeah yes i know well, reading roger, roger ebert, ebert but like yeah. roger ebert was also a pretty instrumental part of my growing up because mm-hmm. i i never thought i i always wanted to like be able to describe a movie as well mm-hmm. as he did and so i was just like watching these movies and trying to write a review as good as roger ebert would mm-hmm. just kept doing that i don't ah, think okay. i i don't think i ever like really cared about the grades more than passing the classes uh, but so when it was time to 
so when it was time to graduate, like what was what was the plan or what, what did you end up doing? When it was time for me to graduate, like this was when I had already. Oh, yeah. So I have to probably tell you something before that. So in my junior year, uh, we have this intramural like contest between dorms. Yeah. Uh, where I put together a play mm-hmm. for each dorm. Mm-hmm. And I wrote and directed the play yeah. uh, for my dorm, which was a train wreck. It was a disaster. But like, <laughs> I'm really glad that I did. Like, so that was, a, that was the first introduction that I ever had to yeah. A, working with other people. Yeah. Um, and B, um, like a project. Yeah. And C, like right, coming up with something on my own. Yeah. So I read The Brothers Karamazov. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that I was like some kind of like, you know, talented genius writer <laughs> who could just like adapt the brothers Karamazov into this um interesting you know uh whodunit murder plot <laughs> uh, and all of that and, like i just like it was a very ambitious story mm-hmm. that i that i just like uh got six guys in my dorm mm-hmm. to uh, act yeah. in mm-hmm. um and it was an absolute disaster. Like we we left props in between changes and things like that. We didn't know what the fuck we were doing. So it fell on to like these completely un- inexperienced people. And we were like, okay, let's do it. But yeah, let's uh, try yeah. our hand at it. Let's try it. And I did it. I I wrote the play. I directed it. And like I stood. I took the curtain call and I stood in front of the judge who just like said it was like it was all right. Uh-huh. And like everybody was laughing as we <laughs> took the curtain call because like there were so many mishaps. Yeah. Uh, but you know we we sat together and like had a good laugh about uh like after the whole thing about it and um and that was like the first time that i really considered the possibility that i could be doing something in this direction because that brought you alive you enjoyed it i enjoyed uh doing it uh the best thing about that um whole process and i'm still in touch with this dude uh we might even do something in the future um he's a documentary filmmaker in ah, india right ah. now um he actually after this experience, I think he also took very seriously the fact that he could get uh, into the creative arts as well. Uh-huh. So, um, he, I, I, like, I made him kind of like have to play this character who was who had a stutter, mm-hmm. and he's not somebody who stutters really. Yeah. yeah. But he's also not somebody who speaks English very well, like in mm. the sense that he he speaks he speaks he speaks with a far more like far stronger accent than even I have, mm-hmm. um, like the proper like he's marathi accent yeah, yeah um and i had to get him first to learn all the lines and be able to say them mm-hmm. normally mm-hmm. and then be able to say them with a stutter ah. and the whole thing was just like him and me fighting constantly <laughs> and like me having to tell him him being like afraid of like you know letting me down etc when he was older than me mm-hmm. like he was he was a year my senior yeah uh, but he was also, and interestingly, he's also a half Dalit, half upper caste ah. uh, cat. And like we kind of spoke about that yeah. very briefly. But, yeah. you know, Connected in IIT, you it. don't really discuss caste because everybody is practically a Brahmin uh. or an upper caste person. Yeah. Um, and if you kind of like talked about it, you out yourself and you kind of like draw a lot of derision as like wow. being a oh, belittled wow. you one way or the other they find, they find a way to do it it's yeah. kind of like it's not too on the nose yeah, it's yeah. one of it's those subtle. things yeah it's subtle and and you kind of like you get reduced like mm-hmm. in a second mm-hmm. to that level and mm-hmm. like um i think like he and i kind of like got that mm-hmm. without having to even like hash it out yeah um you understood each other's experience yeah without even yeah, you yeah. know having to say it out yeah and directing him i think was like very instrumental in me realizing that a i liked coming up with stuff as i'm speaking to you i'm realizing how much truer this whole one person relationship thing is for me hmm. uh through my life uh because i think and, and another recurring theme is the fact that i got into it very um i get into things that i'm passionate about very libertinely mm-hmm. um and then realize the actual kind of like emancipatory oh. uh, <laughs> you know uh-huh. uh, kind of factors involved sure. in it so it's kind of like um i think i got into i mean as everyone does uh, writing and coming up with stuff because you wanted to impress people you wanted to impress somebody you think um, that's that was the initial impulse in, in the initial impulse of creative like the creative process for me was yeah absolutely okay like yeah right. to not impress people but like basically 
impress a girl. Like there were like three girls at IIT, but you wanted yeah. to impress all three of them. Uh, at the time that I was staging this play, there was this girl that I went out with like briefly for mm-hmm. a month, mm-hmm. and when I was directing this play, mm-hmm. she had uh, she she had gone out with this dude who used to be the kind of main like creative director of my dorm. Mm. Um, she was going out and she was just breaking up with this too ah. she was an actor mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. like that was always like this whole like I wanted to write something that I could direct her in ah. um, and now that worked out uh, I but, wait, just, but aside from aside from using this as a as bait for this young lady no, that you were interested not bait I'm just saying like so you know this was a shared interest and this was like one way for you to impress her like what else about this this experience like hooked you um, that aerospace I think, I think engineering was, uh, did not hook you. I think it was the fact that I was just amazed at the fact that somebody else could tell me that my vision meant something to them. Where were you politically around this time? Like, how did you understand the world politically and ideolo- ideologically? I don't think I had a politics for a long time. Up until this point, even after undergrad. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think like in all of this, I I completely bought into this whole like you fend for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just it. Like you know, I didn't even know. I guess like this is probably where like I, how I would describe my politics. But I think like the fact that I didn't even know that I could have a politics because I what does I, that mean? It means that like I don't even know what person I could be or like who I am ever. I don't think I even. Hmm. Now, I'm 100% able to say this is who I am because mm-hmm. I don't think I have an archetype that I ever followed that I 100% could get on board with. It was always like patchwork. So my politics was always mm-hmm. like I was interested in this, in this person, I was interested in that. So in this, like, I guess, like, it was very standard issue, neoliberal, like, mm-hmm. you know, okay. I'm going to take whatever mm-hmm. uh, I like um, and I'm going to throw out, you know, it's just like decontextualize everything uh, uh. be interested in this here interested in that there like mm. have no ideological consistency etc mm-hmm. i mean like i applied to a bunch of places in hindsight i mean it, it kind of looks funny uh i applied to mckinsey uh mm-hmm. i applied i mean i know i know Belly i, I, say, beast, I, know. Yeah. I will, like tell you what uh it, it's gonna be funny so <laughs> Uh, McKinsey, and then there was Bain and Company. I knew and you were gonna say that. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Um, then there was uh, Schlumberger, the oil company, Whoa. drilling. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, engineers get that job a lot. I think I apply for some reason to like Texas Instruments or something like that. Mm-hmm. None of that made any sense. Like sure, none sure, of sure. The, it's just a guy who knows how to crunch numbers, yeah. has some basic analytic skills, supposedly thinks fast, etc. That's kind of what you sell to get uh, some kind of job. Mm-hmm. And eventually, on the sixth day, I like sat down for an interview with uh, Deloitte Consulting. <laughs> um, I remember like the person who interviewed me was like this kind of middle-aged woman, <laughs> and I remember like thinking in this kind of cocky way at that time mm-hmm. that I didn't need like a huge resume to get a job, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But also at the same time, I was like extremely nervous, but I got the job. Oh, okay. Yeah. All so right. it's like, it was, it's funny. Like I got <laughs> hired by um, Deloitte Consulting for a business analyst profile for a, not knowing the job description, uh, not knowing any of the skills that I would need for the job. So there was that, that I got the job, which I didn't take. And I also uh, wrote, this other test called the common admission test for B schools, mm-hmm. business schools mm-hmm. in, in India called the Indian Institutes of Management, yeah, yeah. which is like the next step. And uh, I got uh, accepted in two of them. Hmm. So did you or was the or was your ability to get into B school and like doing that and that being more of a quote sure thing like like which trumped which? So. The third thing that I also got accepted into uh, at the same time was this program called the Young India Fellowship, mm-hmm. which was this. And again, like I couldn't reconcile. You're right. In in a, in a way, like I feel like you're you're kind of getting to the the point which I which I would make here, which is that I still had to be successful, mm-hmm. quote unquote, right? Like yeah, uh, yeah, successful yeah. at something like an achievement. Yeah. Even if you know getting into a program, getting a job, it didn't really matter. All that mattered was that it was an achievement. Like it was something that my parents could tell somebody that their son was doing. It's going to be this one-year fellowship uh, 
conducted by somebody in conjunction with the University of Pennsylvania and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay, it's got the UPenn name on it. Um, and it sounds like it's an achievement because they are boasting the <laughs> fact that some kid from IIT went there last year. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, you know, I needed to sell something to my parents yeah, yeah, so yeah. that they didn't feel like, sure. you know, I was kind of settling for less than I... Sure, sure, sure. It still um, had to have the veneer of some prestige. Some prestige, yeah. yeah. So um, I applied to this thing called the Young India Fellowship and mm-hmm. I got accepted into that program, mm-hmm. which was a year long. But I would say from uh, wanting to be a writer, I thought that my next logical step would be to go into some kind of program that could like take me a little further away from the path that I was going into. So since then, my journey has been just like arcing towards this becoming a writer thing mm-hmm. by taking one step at a time that could like take me further and further away from your like, technical the background. tech uh, uh the stream that i was almost like you know uh-huh. pigeonholed into mm-hmm. but then um i guess like the politics comes more um like after moving to the united states far more than like even being in india because mm-hmm. like in india i just felt like i think like here's the thing i think like i just basically never felt like I could fit in in India. Like, I didn't hmm. want to be some kind of, like, radical Dalit leader. Uh-huh. Um, and I knew that I could not be some kind of, like, average person in society who's yeah. just being like, ah, yeah, you know, like, I'm half Dalit and, like, I'm half Brahmin mm-hmm. and, like, I kind of don't have an identity and, mm-hmm. like, but I kind of have this job and I have this family and I live in this block, mm-hmm. in this town, etc., uh, in the suburbs or whatever. Mm-hmm. That was the kind of life, like, you know, I was, like, headed towards. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think even that involved the politics because it was just about survivalism uh, and like self-serving, just get yours and get out uh, kind of attitude that I had. And because I was not, I mean, like, I don't think you could work for McKinsey and like be <laughs> a leftist. I don't think I was like even thinking, in fact, like, I don't, I don't think I wanted to be a leftist seriously for a long time because my I saw my dad like say that it was bad for you almost Mm -hmm. like that he made it seem like it was a loser thing to do Ah. or that I was setting myself up for a path of failure Ah, okay. that like you know I don't know I mean like I think the problem was that like despite the fact that I was always surrounded by all kinds of radical writing my dad somehow thought that I would just get out of it and be like a suit, uh, a mm-hmm. person mm-hmm. who would mm-hmm. make a six-figure income yeah. um, and just care about nothing but himself. Yeah. And he nearly succeeded at that. Nah, right. Both my parents nearly succeeded at that. And I'm really s- fascinated at the fact that, you know, that they succeeded for as long as they did. Mm-hmm. Because that's how successful you can be, I think, in average society to de-radicalize a person to that point. Yeah, that's right. right. Like, I mean, and that's why, like, I think even now... I have like a lot of understanding towards somebody who has not even the slightest interest in any kind of radicalism. Sure. Because like it just seems like you're jeopardizing your life. Yeah, that's right. Making things unnecessarily difficult for yourself. Yeah. yeah. And and so I, I don't think I had a politics until I until I like moved here and and had to start thinking of myself not as this archetype in society, mm-hmm. but a completely brand new person mm. that I could make. And I and I think I even now, like I, I feel like you could live your whole life completely depoliticized yeah, and um, even as a person of marginalized identity, yeah. you could live deep undercover and like, yeah. you know, change your ways and, you know, I, knowing that, and this is the thing, knowing that I can do that mm-hmm. is what gets me to give it up. Like, I feel like that's why... Say that again, but say it a different way. Okay. Knowing that I can be this traditional textbook, like, I've read all the theory in the... Even now, like, my dad sends me, like, these prompts to, like, you should try and interview this person. You should try and talk to this person. You should try and, like, these standard, like, intellectual figures that he highlights who are, you know, writers in Tamil and, like, Hindi and, like, vernacular languages in India... Mm And I always like think about how they all some somehow devolve into this like esoteric intellectualism mm-hmm. 
nobody cares about them except like some dude like my dad who goes to a book fair and buys these books and comes back and like sure. keeps them in his house so that his kid can like one day you know yeah, yeah. carry the tradition forward mm-hmm. but i think that was the problem the fact was that like i just kept seeing these things it's the same thing as my table tennis uh community it's like it's a fucking state that has like 50 kids playing in a league mm-hmm. like why are you playing politics here the same way i felt like you're in a state where you know leftist politics is like getting beaten out by some guy who's a movie star mm-hmm. and some lady who used to be a leading lady who mm-hmm. acted in a movie against in movies against this dude mm-hmm. and like you know you're sitting and theorizing about how this theory is intellectually better mm-hmm. than someone who's beating the shit out of you mm-hmm. you know at the ballot box and sure. like in all realms of culture etc politics mm-hmm. so i think like that also was something that i that i felt a little wary of which was that like that kind of gave it uh, gave it up very clearly that like uh, you know i felt like I, my dad was um, right in a kind of way warning me against it mm-hmm. that it was not going anywhere that i couldn't feel optimistic about it at all mm. so which brings to the story of why i felt optimistic enough to even consider like fully venturing into this like neoliberal shapeshifter becoming fully formed as a socialist mm-hmm. experiment because i think bernie gave that optimism ah i don't think i felt that optimism any time that i lived in india mm-hmm. uh because i thought that india is trying to be the us hmm. and i was like any time somebody was like trying to be successful or achieving something in india i always felt like well you're trying to do that thing that they're doing there you're copy producing yeah. something that's yeah. like all the stuff like that's when that's why when A.R. Rahman won the Oscar mm-hmm. for Slumdog Millionaire for the music score mm-hmm. I was like half the stuff that he made in that he took from stuff that I can point out in like whatever some album yeah, that yeah. like he heard like I'm pretty sure he sampled some stuff you know sure. uh, uh, all of that like I mean I don't know I, I don't want to get into a lawsuit yeah, by yeah, A.R. Yeah, Rahman right. for like whatever uh, <laughs> for suggesting that this. he plagiarized yeah, I'm not saying he plagiarized but it's just like you know yeah, everybody yeah. likes Heavy being influence. it's more like everybody wants to be the Michael Jackson of India yeah, you know yeah, yeah. or like the the kind of the Jackie Chan of India yeah, or like yeah. the Tom Cruise of India if you will yeah. it's never like I want to be the I just want to be yeah. blank. It was always like the this of India, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. And so if I was a writer like it was going to be like I'm this of India mm-hmm. and I just didn't want to be that. Like yeah. I was like I would rather do the the place where I can be just this yeah, not just, of India. Yeah, that's right. So I had to first I think like at least psychologically I had to move out of India for that. Hmm. Um and the second thing that I think um was kind of radicalizing about that process mm. was coming to a place where i see that oh okay so you're not just doing this in isolation mm-hmm. there are all of these people who are like coming together in this student movement that's what i felt like, mm-hmm. like when i initially came across bunny sanders it was like it seemed like there were all like these students who were rising up yeah. students and young professionals and i was like oh okay so there are these young people who are like getting to define their own expectations etc In part two, Kartik makes his way to the U.S. Of course a girl was involved. (laughs) As he continues to explore a life of his own making in the arts. Part two is up on the Patreon. Uh, You can listen right now at patreon.com slash what's left to do. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash what's left to do. Okay, see you over on Patreon. Patreon.